We are in uh, the second part of this series we started last week called Heroes. And uh, last week we had a great time just, just talking about what that looks like and, and what it means to be a hero. And uh, today, you know, last week I mentioned a story of me and my best friend saving this little girl from the pouring thunderstorm rain and how we knew we were heroes in that moment. Let me give you another hero story of me when I was in grade school, because I was a hero in grade school. Once I got to high school, I stopped being a hero. But in grammar school, I was a hero. And so that was one moment where I did a heroic act. The other moment was, uh, me and uh, uh, my whole school, we were in this like giant CPS walkathon, which by the way, we got our walkathon for Speed the Light coming at the end of the month. We're going to give you more details, but make sure you get a form out there for your fundraising. But we had raised some funds. I don't even know what we were raising funds for. I didn't care. I just wanted to walk with all my friends. And so it was all of CPS, right? So you're talking about thousands of kids, and we're walking down uh, the lake area right by uh, Lakeshore Drive. And so we're, we're walking down the pack through Jackson Park, and we're getting ready to cross that North Avenue Bridge, you know, the one that goes from the park to North Avenue Beach. And so at the time, that bridge, it didn't, it didn't have all the rails on the side. It had like just two rails. Now it has like bars in between the rails. But at the time, it only had a couple. And so we're all walking. It's a massive, massive crowd. And one of my friends has always been the shortest kid in our group, you know, no matter what grade we were in. He's, he, to this day, he's not the tallest guy. He's about that tall. But he's always been the shortest guy in our group. And so we're, we're getting ready to go on this bridge, and we notice that the bridge is literally being swayed back and forth. Okay, this is like a concrete metal bridge. But I think all the older kids realized that they could shake it, and they started rocking the bridge. So the bridge is going back and forth. I'm kind of like... Are you still going to make us cross this bridge? But whatever, CPS. And so we're crossing the bridge, and all the t you know big kids are like pushing everybody. There's this massive crowd. There's no organization. Everyone's just getting kind of tossed back and forth. And while we're going, I'm keeping an eye out on my friend because he's small, and I'm thinking, yo, somebody's going to hurt him. And I always thought I was big, so I'm like, I got to keep an eye out on my, my homie. And so we're going down this bridge, and sure enough, my friend's along the edge. He gets pushed. And he goes through the bars, almost onto the highway, but he grabbed himself on the bar. So he's hanging out, holding on by the bars. Nobody sees him, because he's small. Nobody's paying attention, it's a big crowd, except me. So I like start pushing people, I run through the crowd, I grab his arms, I pull him back over the rail, he hugs the living daylights out of me. I mean, we walk like we were spooning the whole way over the bridge. He's shaking. I'm freaking out. He's like, thanks, man. Thanks, man. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We almost died, bro. Like, freaking out. And I, we told the teachers, and they're like, oh, but you're okay, right? We're like, uh, yeah. And that's basically where it ended. The point is, I saved his life. And I bring it up all the time. I call him every now and then. I go, hey, buddy, I just want to remind you I saved your life when we were, like, 14. And he's like, oh, thanks, bro. Um, it, but here's the deal. He didn't know that he was going to be in danger that day. And he didn't know that there was somebody looking out for him in that moment. But when he needed it, help came. Okay, And I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back because really, I mean, I was just there. Thank God I was able to do that. And thank God they started putting better security on that bridge. But I want to talk to you about that because sometimes we don't recognize our hero until he shows up. And I want to talk to you about a savior that's worth paying attention to. We can't begin to see the value in a savior until we realize our own issues and depravity. When we notice a hero, we also notice our need for help. He didn't realize how much he needed help until he looked up and help was there. 
And I want to talk to you about that if you have your Bibles in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 5, verse 4 through 11, you see this interesting story about a man who has an encounter with Jesus that changes the course of his life forever. In verse 4, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Let me pause right there for a second. Simon is a professional fisherman. This isn't a guy who's going out for the weekends every now and then in the summertime to try to catch some bass. This is his livelihood. This is his trade. This is what he's been trained to do. He is a professional fisherman. Him and his crew have been trying to catch fish all night, which, by the way, you catch fish at night with nets because if you try to do it during the day and you threw the net out, they could see the shadow of the net and the fish would just go away. You fished at night because they couldn't see the shadow and it was a lot easier to catch them. So all night, they're trying to fish. All night, they're trying to catch something. And sure enough, as day breaks, they come back in. Jesus is standing there, and he tells Simon, hey, why don't you go out again where it's a little deeper and try to do it one more time? To a professional, he's sitting there going, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Why would I try again? It's daytime. Uh, it, it's harder when it's in deeper water. It, it just makes no sense. And yet, he was obedient, right? He says, and this time, they're, uh, I'm sorry, let me go back up. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners to the, from the other boat. And soon, both boats were filled with fish and the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Simon who later gets named Simon Peter and eventually becomes uh, one of the head of the disciples, uh, the, the father of the first church, and uh, one of the most pivotal people that we see in the New Testament. He has an interesting start to his relationship with Jesus. And if you're taking notes, one of the things you might write down is this, that sometimes it takes a while to notice a hero. Okay? Sometimes it takes a while to notice a hero. Think about it like this. Uh, you got all these superhero movies out and all these comics. Uh, there's probably no uh, worse disguise than Superman, right? Uh, like, it's just funny when you look at it. Like, how do you not recognize Superman when he's dressed up as Clark Kent? Because what's the difference? He's got a suit and he's not got a cape on. And then he has glasses. And his hair maybe is a little worse. But like, if I showed up to your school, think about it, right? If I showed up to your school just wearing a suit and I had some glasses, it's not like you wouldn't notice me. It's not like you wouldn't be like, is that PJ? And I'll be like, shh, not today. <laughs> you know, right? Like you, you can totally call it out because that's a bad costume. And yet nobody is able to figure out in Superman that Superman and Clark Kent are the same dude. Not even his girlfriend who he works with. She's like, hmm, I wonder if you guys are related. Like none of them pick up on it. 
And I just find that funny, and I'm sure all the really deep comic book nerds, they can give you all the semantics on why not. But on the surface, that's just silly. Again, it's not that Superman is trying really hard to hide. It's that we only notice heroes when they look the way we think heroes are supposed to look. We only notice them when they show up the way we think they were. And again, that's the issue that most of the Jewish people throughout the time of Jesus had. Jesus didn't look like the hero that they were waiting for, right? Uh, He didn't look like what they characterized Jesus as. And because he didn't look like that, they dismissed him, despite the fact that he fulfilled all the scripture, that over and over again he proved himself, because he didn't fit what they thought a hero should look like, what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be, they were thinking, well, this is not him. And if you look at Peter's life, this isn't even the first miracle that he's seen Jesus do. He, he had already seen Jesus do stuff before, and yet this is the first time his eyes are open. Listen, in Luke chapter 4, verse 38 through 41, it says, After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at the bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she shot up at once and prepared a meal for them. Which, man, that's kind of messed up. The lady was just about to die. She got her fever cleared up. She's like, I'm about to make y'all some pancakes. Like, she just got up and did it. And it says that uh, as the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, you are the son of God. But because they knew that he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Notice the demons declared Jesus as the son of God, not the people. And yet, Peter is there. He sees him heal his mother-in-law, his own family member. He, he, he sees him heal sick person after sick person. He sees him casting out demons. And this happens before this fishing experience. So why is it and until the fishing experience that he doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord? And I think that's what happens a lot of times. Is until it, it pops up in a way that we expect it or that we perceive it, we don't see it. We don't notice it, or at least we don't recognize it as God. How many times has God come through in your life and you just chalk it up to good luck or just getting away with it or that's just how things worked out or, hey, man, I got lucky. Well, why isn't it that God showed up? Why isn't it that God answered your prayer? Why is it that maybe you just got lucky? This is one of those things where, again, until we start to recognize who Jesus is, we'll always have our own idea of who Jesus is. We'll make up this idea, right? It's like that Will Ferrell movie where he's like, I like Jesus in a tuxedo outfit, or I like my Jesus as a baby. And they're like, he's a man. He's got a beard. And everyone has this idea of what Jesus is supposed to look like. And Jesus is sitting here going, no, no, I look like this. And not just a physical look, but in how he acts and how he treats people. And sometimes we don't notice a hero until we pay attention to who he really is. Second thing that I notice is things are different when they happen to you. All those things that Simon saw, he saw happen to other people. He saw other people get healed. He saw other people get demons cast out of them. This was all happening to other people, not to you. Andrew, Peter's brother, had an encounter with Jesus. He ran and told Peter about it, but it was Andrew's encounter. 
Peter's mother-in-law has an encounter with Jesus. She has this high fever. Jesus comes, breaks the high fever, but it's his mother-in-law's encounter with Jesus. But the catching of the fish, why is that so important to Simon? Because it's his encounter. Here's what I need you to understand. Your faith is your own. You can't adopt your mom's faith, your dad's faith, your grandparents' faith. Their encounters are not your encounters. And you will never have a personal, strong relationship with God until you have a personal encounter with him. If you don't have that personal encounter with Jesus, it'll always be a relationship that you're living through somebody else, right? It'll be something where it's like, hey, my friend knows this person. Do you know them? I know of them. My friend knows them, but I don't know them. Your relationship with Jesus will always be through the people that you know who have a relationship with Jesus, but never with you. And you got to understand this because when people get to heaven, we don't get plus ones. So it's not like mom gets to heaven and she's like, oh yeah, but my son and daughter. Oh yeah, but my nephew. Oh yeah, but my grandkid. Because everyone stands alone in that moment. And God has to look at each of you and say, okay, I know your mom and I know your dad. Do I know you? Do I have a relationship with you? And this is the issue that we were seeing with Simon. It's, it's, it's why he saw all these miracles, and yet his eyes were still closed because he didn't have a personal encounter with Jesus yet. Listen, in John chapter 20, verse 25 through 29, it says, They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. The Bible tells that Jesus was crucified, that he was uh, killed and died on the cross, and he resurrected three days later to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. And so he rose like he said he would, and he appeared before a lot of people, but he had yet appeared before Thomas, one of the disciples. So when the other disciples are telling, no, no, we've seen Jesus, we, we know he's alive, we know he's not dead, Thomas goes, I don't care what you say, I won't believe until I personally experience it. Until I put my hand through his wounds myself, I'm not just going to take your word for it. It says eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. What am I trying to say with this? Hey, listen. If you believe what I'm preaching, the word of God, and you come to faith as a result, praise God. But at some point in your spiritual journey, you have to have your own encounter with Jesus one-on-one. You have to be able to experience it. Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying that Jesus in the flesh has to show up in your room and you put your finger in his wounds. Okay, that's weird. I hope that doesn't happen. That's just, I mean, if it did, that'd be cool, but it's weird still. Okay? A personal relationship with Jesus means, yes, I believe the preacher, I believe my friend who who told me about Jesus, who gave me an opportunity to say yes to starting a relationship with Jesus, but that was just the beginning of a relationship. Now I have the responsibility to build on that relationship. 
right? It's like, you know, let's just say you're a little bit older, just so we can give it in good context, right? Let's say, you know, I got, I got one of my boys, say I got my boy Joseph over here, and, uh, and Joseph's in his 20s, you know, he's, he's looking for a, for a lady to, to get married with, and, you know, because we know he's going to wait till his 20s to do that, and, uh, and I go, Joseph, I got the perfect girl for you, bro. This, she loves the Lord, she is great, she's anointed, I mean, this is amazing, and I bring Joseph, and I introduce him to this amazing girl, and Joseph's standing there like, <laughs> I go, hey, Joseph, bro, hey, listen, this is, uh, this is my friend so-and-so. Like, hey, y'all, you know, y'all should get some coffee or, yeah. And then the whole time he's just looking at his shoes and he's like. <laughs> listen, I can only introduce you, bro. I can't walk you all down the aisle like that. Like, at some point, you got to keep that thing. At some point, you got to be like, hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee, get to know each other? At some point, the introduction is not enough. As a pastor, there's only so much I can do to get you introduced to Jesus, to get you started in your relationship with Jesus. But at some point, you got to talk to Jesus. At some point, you got to read your Bible. You got to learn how to worship God on your own. At some point, you got to understand what it means to pray. At some point, your relationship with Jesus needs to be your own. If I stood up here like I did seven years ago and I said yes to my wife, Cicely, and after saying yes, I go, all right, I'll see you in 10 years, and I never talk to her again. On paper, I guess you could argue that we're married, but without any relationship, that marriage isn't anything good. Yes, you might have said a prayer one day, or you might have opened your heart in that moment and said yes to Jesus, but an encounter with Jesus is building on a relationship that goes beyond that singular moment. Simon, he had a lot of those singular moments, but when Jesus helped him catch the fish, it changed his perception because now it's my moment. This isn't my mother-in-law's moment, and this isn't my brother's moment. This is my moment. And in that moment, he got out of the boat, and he realized how great God is and how messed up he is. If you're taking notes, here's the third thing you want to write down. You don't realize how bad it is until you realize how good he is. You don't realize how bad it is until you realize how good it is. This is funny. Um, it happens to me from time to time. I'm not necessarily short, but when I get around tall people, then I realize I'm not tall either. <laughs> All right? I'm not like 4'11". No offense to the people in this room that are 4'11". But when I stand around my, my brother-in-law's dad, who's 7'1", it's in those moments where I'm like, I hate talking to you like this. I feel bad for all of y'all. I got to talk to people like that. That's messed. It hurts the neck after a while, right? I don't notice where I'm at until I notice where he's at. Well, the same goes for your walk and, and who you are. You don't notice how much you need help until you realize how good and helpful God is. The miracle instantly opens Peter's eyes to a few realities, this moment where he catches fish, where, where his boat is about to sink because of how much fish he has, in this moment, he realizes a few things. In this moment, Peter realizes that Christ is Lord. That, I, that word Lord means you can have complete say-so over my life. It was in that moment that Peter understood he was a man. He says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Your God, I'm not. 
we walk around a lot of times, especially before we ever had a relationship with Jesus, we walk around as if we were the Lord of our own lives and we're God of our own lives. I do what I want. I make my own decisions, da 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 Let's be honest, especially as teenagers, you don't do what you want. Even those who are like, yeah, I got a job. I buy my own stuff. I was like, man, it's because you don't pay a mortgage and you don't pay bills. And, you know, like, I, I see you buy yourself a new pair of shoes, but that's because you don't have to pay for anything else. So you're not really your own person yet. But it's even worse when it comes to us and God. Because when you stop to realize that you can't even make your own heartbeat, that you can't even stop yourself from blinking, that there's so many involuntary processes of your own body that happen whether you want them to or not. You literally don't even have control of your own physical body, let alone your life. And I'm not saying that to bum you out. I'm saying that to help you understand. Because I have no control, I need to lean on the one who is in control of everything. Because I realize that things are outside of my hands, that in reality, in the scope of life, I am utterly helpless. I need a God who is willing to help me. Peter understood that Jesus was Lord. He understood that he was just a man. Peter understood that not only was he just a man, but he was a sinful man. Again, you don't notice how dirty you are until you see how clean God is. And it's in that moment where you go, wow. Peter let this make him a humble man. He, he had this realization. He's God, I'm not. He's pure, I'm not. And he didn't take that realization and then get caught up in his feelings and get really upset and get really sad. He allowed it to humble himself and realize, I'm not worthy of a relationship with you. I'm not worthy to be around you. I understand the reality of who I am. And it humbled him. It didn't embarrass him. When you approach God with a humble heart, it changes things. It's easier to move you in the direction that God called you to move when you're humble versus when you're proud. When you're proud, you're stubborn, you're stiff. That's easy to break. But when you're humble, you're moldable, you're bendable. When the Lord says go this way, you go that way. When the Lord says go that way, you go that way. It's easy to move in the direction that God has you to move. Why? Because I recognize I don't even know what I'm doing, God. I need you to help me. On, on the other hand, when you think you know everything, and there's some of us in this room who have been in those places where we think we know everything, that's when God reminds you, yeah, buddy, you don't even know this much. And it's not to embarrass you. One of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Job, if you never get a chance, read the book of Job. It's a really interesting story. And in the book of Job, Job loses everything in the first half of the book. Like everything, his family, his fortune, his health. Job is, uh, Job is utterly helpless. And then he, he for the most part throughout the, the majority of the book, he never blames God. And, and he shows himself righteous in that, and, and it's a good example of how we're supposed to endure things. But kind of towards the end, he does start to question God, and he starts to kind of ask God, like, do you even really know what you're doing? And that's where he kind of crossed the line. And I was talking to some of the boys about this last week in small groups. Um, for the last three chapters of Job, God shows up on the scene, and he goes, hey, you know what, Job, since you want to question me, I got some questions for you. 
And for about three chapters, he just starts slamming Job with questions that obviously he has no answer to. He's like, oh, my bad, Job. You're obviously God, right? You obviously know everything because you're questioning me. I'm sorry, Job. Were you the one that told the ocean you can go this far and no further? Was that, was that you? Were you the one who, who counted the stars in the skies? Were, were you the one who, who laid out the sands? of the, I'm sorry, Job. I'm sorry. You're so smart. And for three chapters, he just embarrasses Job. And then Job at the end's like, you're right. <laughs> You're God. I'm man. You're holy. I'm sinful. I am so sorry. God didn't do that to embarrass Job. But every now and then, it doesn't hurt to get that heart check to realize, maybe I don't have it all figured out. Maybe I'm not fully in control of everything. Maybe I can use help. And there's some of us in this room, we are so stubborn about asking for help that we take that stubbornness into our relationship with God and we're unwilling to ask God for help. Simon Peter in this moment recognizes how desperate he is in need of a hero. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, listen to what it says. But everything is exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. At some point, God's gonna shine light on your situation. And he's gonna wake you up and he's gonna open your eyes and you're gonna begin to see the realities of your situation. And in those moments, you need to be careful how you live. Are you gonna be wise about your situation? Or are you gonna be unwise? Are you gonna sit there and be like, who cares, I'll figure it out. Or are you going to just stop and go, God, I need you? Worship team, if you can help me out. Peter has these, this moment where he catches his fish and his boat's overflowing. And it's a really cool moment for Peter. For us, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. Like, isn't it a bigger deal when Simon Peter saw demons being cast out? Because a lot of us, that's kind of how we are. Like, well, I, I believe in God, but man, it'd be really cool if I saw like an exorcism. Then I'd be like, yo, I'm all in. <laughs> you would think that maybe in that miracle that happened with this family member who was physically sick, get healing, maybe that would have been the game changer. But it was, it was fish. Why would catching fish be such a big deal to Simon? It's because it was what Simon was good at. Simon failed at what he was an expert at. And with one word of Jesus, Jesus was able to do a billion times better what Simon spent his whole life training how to do. That's a, a heart check. Where he tried and failed all night, God with one word was able to do. Listen, when God shows up in your world, he shows up in your situation. And he takes the things that with your own hand is impossible for you to do. And he shows you, yeah, with your strength, that's impossible. But with me, all things are possible. Yeah, with your hands, you're not going to be able to accomplish that as much as you want to, as well as you're trained, as much experience as you have. But the reality is, we are all in need of a savior. We're all in need of a hero. We're all in need of someone who's greater than ourselves. And I think it's in that moment where 
we realize the last point is that a real hero is worth following. In that moment, think about this. Peter has the greatest catch he's ever had in his entire life. This is the biggest financial payday he's ever had. He's never caught this much fish in one day. So much that his partners have never caught that much, and both their boats are starting to sink. And if we go back to the scripture, right, it says in in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. What did they leave? Everything. Well, what's everything? They left the fish in the boat. Again, I'm just thinking of my own human rationale. Had it been me, I'd have been like, yo, let's sell this fish. Let's get our money off of this, right? This is like a month's worth pay. Like we, we can get, hey, I can follow Jesus a lot better after I sell the fish. But here's the realization they had, and this is the implication on why they left the fish. Because as valuable as the fish were to who Simon used to be, as valuable as the fish are to maybe you and I in a worldly perspective, in that moment, Peter understands this is garbage compared to what I've just discovered in you. This is nothing. Listen, for some of us, your whole life goal is maybe built in what you're going to do in this world, professionally speaking. Right? Man, I'm called to be a doctor or I'm called to to go into this profession or or I'm going to flip houses and I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm not going to be poor like my parents were poor. Like, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be a baller. I'm going to be taking care of my family. I'm going to buy my mom a house. And everything is laid out in that. And what God is saying is, listen, I could even help you get all that. But until you understand that all that is nothing compared to all this that Jesus has for you, all that will never satisfy you. Because it'll just be another thing that you're trying to attempt. If the success of this world was so satisfying, we wouldn't have so many celebrities ODing, hunting down that next flavor or that next high or that next moment. Why would they OD when they have all the money they can have for and they have all the fame they could want and and they could be with any person they want to be with? And again, I'm not saying that's, you know, you're going to have success and so you're going to drug overdose. What I'm saying is that's enough proof to show you that even with all the success in life, success can't fill the God-shaped hole in you. So that when you have Christ, you can get all the other things. And I'm not saying those other things are bad. I hope you're extremely successful at what God has for you. I hope those of you who are called to a profession, I hope God gives you favor. I hope God blesses you. I hope God gives you every dream you have. But I hope it comes after everything that God has given you in him. I hope it's a result of your relationship with God, not at the cost of your relationship with God. I want that success for you, but I want it second to the success you have in your relationship with Jesus. Because if you can have that, that's why the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added on to you. Get your priorities right. Understand, I need Jesus before I need anything else in my life. I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna get ready to close. I 
want you to close your eyes for a moment just so you're not looking around or paying attention to anybody else. I'm just talking to, to you specifically. Because I believe tonight is your Peter encounter. It's not your brother's encounter. It's not your sister's encounter. It's not your neighbor's encounter or your friend's encounter. It's an opportunity for you to have your own encounter. And let me tell you something. Encounters with Jesus are not always ones where you're falling on the floor crying or, or the music is blaring and the lights are shining. For some of you, you're going to have an encounter with God when you get home alone in your room as you're meditating on this word, as you're speaking to the Lord and you hear the Lord speak back to you. But if there is anyone in this room who as I was speaking, you felt the voice of the Holy Spirit tapping at your heart saying, this is you. You felt the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's you that I want to have a relationship with. It's you that I want to know and I want you to know me. In a moment, I'm gonna pray for the Christians in this room and the plans that God has for our life. But before I do, man, if you're in this room and you've never really given your life to the Lord, you've, you've never had a personal decision to make your own relationship with God. I'm not talking about if you grew up in church or, or if you've had you know all those moments, or if you went to Sunday school, that's all great. But have you yourself ever said yes to Jesus because you knew you needed a savior because you know that you can't keep going in this life without knowing the one who laid it out for you. So before I pray for everybody else, I'm gonna take just a couple moments here. Young lady, young man, I'm not gonna call you. I'm not gonna make you get out of your seat right where you're at. If you want that tonight, just lift up your hand and I wanna lead you in a prayer to have that. If there's anyone here, thank you, sweetheart. Anyone else, that's me. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you, sweetie. Anyone else said, that's me, Pastor. I want to know that I know that I know that I have a relationship with God. Amen. Let's pray for these three girls. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you all help us out? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, then you are saved. This is the beginning of a relationship. Now the responsibility is on you to follow up on that. So why don't we all pray this together? Say, Jesus, I know who I am. And I know I'm not worthy of this relationship with you. But I ask you, God, forgive me of my sins. Make me new and make me yours. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now listen, I want to encourage you. If you prayed that prayer, talk to me afterward. I'd love to walk you through those next steps. Get plugged in. Come to small groups tomorrow. Start following up on what that means. We want to help you in that process. But before we dismiss, I want to pray for everybody else. Our responsibility after we have an encounter is to follow Jesus so that other people can have encounters. Peter didn't follow him just for himself. He followed him because he knew there was a greater purpose in my life than just catching fish. And we mentioned over the last couple of weeks, God is going to give us some opportunities. He's going to open some doors. Even with momentum, if you have a friend who's never given their life to the Lord, they can come to momentum for half the price. Registration is covered. No problem. 
God is going to open doors, but sometimes he uses you to be the one to open it. And so I want to pray that God would give you enough courage to do that, that you wouldn't shrink back or that you wouldn't forget or that you wouldn't put it as not an area of importance, but that you would step up to do and be all who God called you to be. So let's pray that one more time as we get ready to close tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for every person in this room, from the oldest to the youngest. God, every one of us had a purpose and a plan in our life, one that's been laid out long before we ever said yes to you. But God, I'm praying for those in this room who are believers, who have given their heart to you, God. Lord, I pray that we would, like Peter, begin to follow you, Lord. And follow you isn't just the direction that you're walking in, but it's in the things that you want us to do and the conversations that you want us to have and the invitations that you want us to give and the relationships that you're asking us to build. God, I pray that we would take personal responsibility and understanding that whatever this world has to offer is nothing in comparison to what we've discovered in Christ Jesus. So Lord, I ask, help us to put you first. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and understand that everything else is gonna be taken care of. Lord, I pray that you would give us divine appointments. Lord, holy opportunities to have encounters with our loved ones and with our friends. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see those opportunities. To not just bring them to church, but Lord, even be willing to bring Jesus to them where they're at. Whether it's at school, whether it's in the neighborhood, and God, I pray that you help us strengthen our own relationship with you and reading our word and prayer and seeking your face so that when those opportunities with our friends come up, we don't feel inadequate or unprepared. So Lord, give us confidence in our relationship with you that we could share that relationship with others. Father, we thank you because all of us in this room had no idea how desperate for a hero we were until we encountered you. And Lord, we pray May we never lose sight of the wonder that we've had in that encounter with you. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said? Amen. Come on, y'all. Everybody said? Amen. Would you give God a hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you on your way out. If you haven't gotten a form for the apple picking, you can pick that up in the foyer. Bring it tomorrow. Grab a momentum form. Start talking to your parents. We will never let money be a reason why you can't experience the things that God wants you to experience. So if you need help, let us know, and we'll see you tomorrow in small groups. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you soon.